And let's open up, swipe up, slide up, stand up, wake up, <laughs> saddle up. Acts chapter 12. Did I miss one? All right, verse 1, verse 1. The Bible says, About that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers. That's 32 soldiers because you know Peter was just such a threat. Four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. Check this out. But, but, but what? Earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. What was he doing? <laughs> oh, Peter. Bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in, his, in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands and the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your Air Force Ones. And because, because we're on the move, we're on the move. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Hey, even when people expect the worst from you, you can expect God to do his best, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you never stop. God, you never quit. Thank you, God, that our circumstance don't dictate, that our destiny's not written by people's opinions, but God, it's you. You are the author and finisher of our faith. And even when it seems like it's over, God, truly you have only just begun. And so fill us with faith and shake this place in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat today. You know, we learn a lot about ourselves when we're being squeezed. We learn a lot about ourselves when we're being squeezed, when we're in the vice, when the pressure's on, when we're caught between a rock in a hard place, like you guys know what I'm talking about, when it's trouble, when it's trial. Uh, we have biblical insider language for this that we use all the time, right? I mean, we talk about our trials and tribulations in biblical terminology because it's just, it happens so much. We talk about the fiery furnace. We talk about the fiery trial. Uh, we talk about the valley that we're walking through. We talk about the storm that we're in. We, we talk about the flood that's overwhelming us. I mean, there's even terminology from a biblical point of view in an insider kind of way that we use to discuss these types of times. 
when the pressure's on, when we are caught between a rock and a hard place, when, when it's really, really challenging. And you know, it is in those times that the truth that's on the inside emerges. Because we can put on a fancy face and, and display Sunday's finest. You know, I mean, some of us are really good at that. We can sing songs with our hands stretched out wide. We can share scriptures with one another. We can counsel other people on how they should handle the hard headwinds that are in their lives. But what about when it's us? What about when it's our trial? What about when it's our struggle? What about when it's our storm? What about when it's our valley? And the, the squeeze is on and stuff is emerging. And you know, sometimes, look, the truth is this, sometimes you're a little shocked, aren't you? Of what comes out when you're going through it? Anybody in the house willing to be honest today? Like maybe, maybe a couple people? All right, you guys are slightly more honest in the first service. Thank you very much, right? I mean, we got a couple of people. Hey, the truth is this, you guys know we can put on the facade and we live in a Christian culture where Christians want it easy. They want it easy. And when it gets difficult, oftentimes they quit or they complain or they blame other people. What they don't realize is that it's in the hard stuff and in the headwinds that God is shaping your character and displaying his power. Hey, if, you, if, you've, if you, you've been through it, if you're a mature believer in Jesus Christ today, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We got any experienced saints in the house today? Man, you've walked through some of that stuff. You've walked through the trial and the tribulation. You've gone through the storm and, and you've learned that it's in the hard place. The head wins the hot spot that not only is God displaying his power around you, he's doing something real inside of you. Something life-changing. God's not just looking to change things on the outside. God's looking to change things on the inside. And so think about this, right? From the trouble, God gives you the testimony. From the trouble, God gives you the testimony. Okay, say it with me today. From the trouble, God gives the testimony. Look to the person to your left and say to them, some people are looking to the right. Look, you guys are all, y'all messed up. Like, yo, hey, hey, let's do this. Look this way and say to the person that way, from the trouble, God gives a testimony. Mike, Mike's been here for two services. He's had to say it to the wall twice, okay? Now I want you to look this way and say it this way, from the trouble, God gives a testimony. No one got a testimony from smooth sailing, y'all. No one got a testimony from, from smooth sailing. Like it, it's in the hard stuff. I'm not saying today like intentionally make your life difficult so that you get a testimony because God can handle that part, all right? But I am saying to you today that it's in the trouble. When your life is being squeezed, God is about to do something great. When your life is being squeezed, God is about to do something Great. Now, remember with me, the early church was birthed in adversity. Like, it was not easy to be a Christian 2,000 years ago. It wasn't smooth sailing for them. On the one hand, you know they had the Jewish religious system. 
Nothing came easy for the early church. On the one hand, they had the Jewish religious system, and that religious system was seeking to stamp out, squash, wipe out the followers of Jesus Christ. I mean, just think Saul of Tarsus, right? Before he converted to Christ, he was on his way to Damascus, rolling on up there to pull some people, some followers of the way into his, um, well, he wanted to bring them back to Jerusalem so they could stand before the Sanhedrin and ultimately probably be put to death. And so on the one hand, the early church had this zealous religious persecution that they were dealing with. And then on the other hand, they had the, the Roman government. And the Roman government was all about politicization, subjugation, corruption, killing. Like they wanted nothing to do with those who were Christians. In fact, Herod himself in this moment, like any good politician would do, he was recognizing that the murder of James was actually a benefit for his polling numbers, right? He had, he had, he had the polling numbers out and he put James to death and, and his numbers started to spike and peak and he's like, hey, maybe I'll do that again because it made the people happy. And so then on the other hand, you have the, the Roman government that is pushing on the Christian people. And so uh, just picture this, right? You're a Christian living 2,000 years ago, man. You got it on that side. You got it on that side. The squeeze is on you. The squeeze is on you. The culture from every point of view wants nothing to do with you. You're being marginalized. You're outcast. Your values mean nothing. The world operates in a way that brings grief to your soul. The stuff that you see on a daily basis brings grief to your soul because you know it's displeasing to God and people are so lost. And in the heat of the moment, listen, in the heat of the moment when it was the hottest in the early church, I just want you to know what their response was. Their response was prayer. It was prayer. Acts chapter 4 verse 24 shows us in, in the hottest moment in the early church, how they responded, this was what they prayed. They said, Sovereign Lord. Man, that's a great way to start your prayer, people, God. You know what I'm saying? Sovereign Lord. Like, hey, you can get to all the chaos and the craziness and the upside down uh, society, but it's always good just to begin with, God, you know what? Before I say anything, I just want to acknowledge you're in control. Before I speak a word, before I talk about the waywardness of my son or daughter, before I talk about how upside down it is at work, before I deal out to you all the financial struggles and troubles I have, before I lay out to you the waywardness of society, let me just say, Sovereign Lord, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, right? And this is an Old Testament verse, Psalm 2, that's just going to encapsulate the reality of God's supremacy. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And then they go into the current situation for truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, like every side, and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had, had what? Had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, 
while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And so are you guys connecting with me today? Like they're in the spot, right? They're in the spot and they're like, man, there's chaos all over the place and we're being pressed in on every side. And so this is what we're gonna do, God. We're gonna remember first and foremost, you are always on the throne. There's never a time when you're not in control. And God, no matter how much the society or the people in power think that they're just supreme over you, God, you laugh and hold them in derision because there's no God greater than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? And it's almost like this prayer becomes a self-instruction as they're looking back on the events that have taken place. And it's like, God, you've predetermined, you predestined. There's nothing out of order. There's nothing out of order. Everything is happening as you've desired it to be. And so God, in this moment, this is what we need. God, we need boldness. We need boldness. We need an empowering. God, we need a strengthening. We need, a, we need to not back up or back off. We need to not fade into the distance or become a, a distant memory. God, in this moment, we need your power because you know the pressure's on and we, we, just, we, we feel like fading away. But God, we know that what people need is the gospel. And so fill us with your power to speak the truth in love. Fill us with power to speak the truth and your truth and love. And then you know what happened. The place was shaken. The place was shaken and they were empowered. I want to say to you guys today, and, and this, you've already connected the dots, right? The squeeze is on today. The squeeze is on today. We are facing headwinds and hard times. In our culture, we once enjoyed the Judeo-Christian framework. It was easy to connect the dots to God. But you know that's a passing dream. And we more and more live in a secular society. And don't, don't misunderstand, secular does not mean godless. Secular does not mean godless. It for sure means that our society has canceled the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's for sure. But they've not canceled a whole bunch of false gods. They've not canceled a whole bunch of false deities. Secularism is not the absence of deities. It is a society that's filled with all sorts of false gods that are worshipped. And we need to remember that otherwise, you know, we'll forget that what we battle against is not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And you know you feel the grief as we watch society turn upside down. Mob violence, mass shootings, exploitation of our children by big business, confusion on sexuality and gender, greed, the dissolving of eth ethical boundaries with technology, pride, injustice. Some of you probably read yesterday or the day before that the Bible uh, in Utah in a school district, the Bible has just, they've determined that the Bible is filled with so much violence and, and bad language that they've removed it from the library in those elementary and middle schools. So in other words, porn and drag shows, yes, Bible, no. Like this is the reality of what we're dealing with today. There is trouble all around us. There's trouble all around us. If, if there ever was a time for us to say, sovereign Lord, sovereign Lord, we're not gonna lose our minds. We're not gonna become untethered. We're not gonna become unanchored. 
we're not just going to go crazy, right? We're going to remember that God, even though we see all these things, you are still on your throne. You are high and lifted up. And the train of your robe fills the temple with glory. We're going to remember that God is ordering things. And you know, for those of us who believe that Jesus Christ is coming back soon, this is exactly what he said would happen. Don't be shocked, people. Don't be shocked. And so then we lean into the sovereignty of God, but then we lean into the power of his Holy Spirit because you know what needs to happen right now is we need a fresh empowering to speak with boldness the truth in love. Like we don't back up, we don't back down, we don't raise the white flag of surrender. We don't handle things according to the flesh. We don't work things out by the power of man. We need the Holy Spirit. If ever there was a time, and you know, when the people of God gathered together in humility, focusing on the sovereignty of God, leaning into the power of the Holy Spirit, the place gets shaken. The place gets shaken. The place gets shaken. You know what? Lives get shaken. Lives get shaken. It's not just that the the physical place was shaken, but hearts and lives were shaken. Some of us need a good shaking today. Do you know what I'm saying? Some of us need a good shaking today. The Apostle Paul needed a good shaking so that the scales could fall from his eyes and he could see things for what they really were. And you know, Peter's going through something here. He's got religious and political persecution. He's got personal trouble. The, the boy's in prison. And you know, he had, to get, he had to get seeing trouble God's way. He had to see trouble in his life the way that God saw it. There were guards on evil assignment. He's chained to two of them with two chains. There's Herod, who no doubt was a puppet in Satan's hand. And like I said, it was murder for politics. It was murder for politics. He's like, man, kill one, poll numbers up. Kill a couple more, poll numbers should, should, should you know, go up as well. He's devised this plan. But you know what? There was someone greater than Herod on the scene. It was God. And if you want to know what happens to Herod, you can read the end of chapter 12, the book of Acts. I won't. I won't spoil the story for you, but it's, it's worth the read. Herod's like, man, it, it needs to be a big show. It needs to be a big show. And so he gets 32 soldiers who arrest Peter. They take Peter into prison, past two guard posts, past an iron gate. You know, he's chained with two chains to two prisoners. The Bible's really descriptive of this because you know, in the mind of Peter and everybody else, the story's over. I mean, this is the sentence of Rome, for goodness sakes. When Rome says you're dead, you're dead. Unless you're the son of God, right? Unless unless you're the son of God, because if you're the son of God, you just rise again on the third day. Even though there's a seal. Even though soldiers are posted. But this situation looked... It, it looked hopeless for Peter. What is Peter doing? Well, Peter's doing what Peter often does, you know, especially in trouble. Peter's taking a nap. He's taking a nap. He's catching some Z's. Like, I don't know about you guys. I can't even sleep on an airplane, but chained to two soldiers, that would be pretty, uh, kind of a hard place to sleep. Peter found a way. Peter found a way to take a nap. Now, I used to, when I used to um, study this, you know, formerly I had this, this idea that, well, you know what, maybe Peter is taking a page out of the book of the master. 
Because, you know, there was a time when the master was in a situation and the disciples were in trouble and there was a storm on a sea and you know the master took a nap too. He had a little pillow, you know, Scripture's really descriptive of that. He had a little pillow, laid down his head and, you know, I mean, it was a little nappy poo. And so maybe it's possible that Peter's like, well, the master did it. Maybe I can do it too. I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe that anymore. I think Peter in this situation, he conceded. I think he conceded. I think he quit. I think he gave up. I think he was looking at his circumstances, especially, especially since James had just been murdered. Now remember, it was in the crew, right? You had 500 disciples and then 120 in the upper room. You had 12 who were selected and then you had the three. You remember who the three were? It was Peter, James, and John. It was Peter, James, and John. And so when James is murdered, I mean, this, this was a hard blow for Peter, an overwhelming blow for Peter. And he might have been thinking, man, if it happened to James, it's probably going to be happening to me too. This is an impossible situation. God must be done. And so maybe the sleeping is a surrender. Maybe the sleeping is a surrender. You know, there can be a nobility in our surrender where it appears that we're really trusting in God when in fact God's not done. He's just beginning. Peter was, Peter was no quitter. We know that. He was a water-walking, Christ-confessing, even if the rest of these, sword unsheathed, Pentecost preaching, dead-raising, sick-healing, religion-rejecting, bad man for Jesus. That's what Peter was, right? Can I say it again? He was a water-walking, Christ-confessing, even if the rest of these, sword unsheathed, Pentecost-preaching, dead-raising, sick-healing, religion-rejecting, bad man for Jesus Christ. And we love that about the boy. We love that about the boy. We love that about him. But listen, in this situation, I think he's conceded. I think he's looking and he's thinking, it's over. It's over. I want to say to you today, it's not over until God says it's over, right? It is not over. It is not over until God says it's over. You know, that is a word for someone today. That's a word for someone here today because you know you're, you're quitting right when God's starting. You're thinking this is the ending when God is saying this is the beginning. You're ready to throw in the towel when God's saying, hey, wait a minute here. We're not done. We got a couple more rounds in this battle. Sometimes, you know, as Christians, we quit too soon. And every one of us knows what that feels like. Every one of us has been in a situation where you look at the circumstances. You can't even see the path forward. You can't see the way ahead. You don't know what God is doing. Every single door has been closing in your life. Anybody ever experienced that before? Every single door is closing in your life. And you know in those times, in those times you're like, God, I, I want to feel your presence, but you don't feel his presence. You're like, God, I want to hear a word from your word, but you just don't seem to hear what it is that God is saying. And so you default, and I understand this because I've done it too, you default to determining the will of God based on what you see with your eyes. You see with human vision. You see from a physical point of view. And so you start to conclude things that aren't, that aren't true. You're like, well, the, the writing's on the wall. 
the writing's on the wall. Maybe the writing is on the wall, but if it's not God who is doing the writing, the writing doesn't matter, right? Maybe the writing is on the wall. Maybe there are circumstances in your life where it's like lining up that all the doors are closed and maybe it is over. But I'm telling you right now, if it's not God who's doing the writing, then the writing doesn't matter. People, people don't determine your destiny. God determines your destiny. Because you know, behind those circumstances, there are individuals. There are individuals pulling the strings and making choices and those choices affect your life. They affect your life. But God is greater than those circumstances. God is greater than those strings that are being pulled and God is greater than the person who is pulling them. The people in your life don't determine your destiny, God does. Don't, don't quit. Don't quit when God is just about to do something great. Abraham, Abraham and Sarah, 25 years into the praying, 25 years into the promise, and there's, there's no pregnancy. And you know what? There were times. There were times when they wanted to quit, and God's like, hey, don't quit, because you know what? The, the baby's about to be birthed. The baby's about to be birthed. The children of Israel standing there with Pihahiroth in front of them, the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army behind them. And you know, they started looking at the circumstances and they were overwhelmed because they were determining their destiny by, by Pharaoh and his dictatorship. And, and God's like, hey, don't, don't throw in the towel. Don't go crazy on me right now. Don't unanchor yourself from me because I'm about to part the sea. I'm about to make the way. I'm about to take you to the other side. I'm about to bring you into the promised land. I'm about to rain down manna from heaven to fill your stomach and bring water from the rock to quench your thirst. I'm about to plant a tabernacle in your midst where my presence is going to dwell. Don't quit, don't give up before these blessings come. Children of Israel, they're there in the, the Valley of Elah. And you know the story. There's this massive giant that's standing there. And you got Saul and his soldiers in the tent. Their knees are shaking. Their, their hands are sweating. Their, their, their courage is quailing in the face of this giant. And along rolls this little shepherd boy who's been spending time in the pastures, not just with the sheep, but with God. Right? Not just with the sheep, but with God. He's been in a time of preparation. He's been a, in a time of development. God has been shaping his character. God has been doing things in his life to prepare him for this moment because, you know, when it was the bear and the lion, God gave him the victory. And so by the time he got to Goliath, Goliath was nothing more than a platform for all that God was doing in his life to be put on display. You know, from one point of view, it was this massive person that, that no one could overcome that meant the destruction of the nation of Israel. And from another person, it was, who are you to defy the armies of the living God? Two totally different points of view. You know, we want the warmth of the light. We want the mountaintop. We want the health. We want the prosperity. We want the support of others. Peter here needed a vision shift. 
God was giving Peter a vision shift. The soldiers weren't holding him back. They were ushering him into the next great thing that God was going to do in his life. I'm just going to, I want you to think about that for a minute. Because this is a paradigm shift. This is a shift of how we see things. These soldiers weren't holding Peter back. They were ushering him into the next great thing that God had to do in his life. We want the warmth of the light. We want the mountaintop. We want the health and the prosperity. We want the support of others. We're like, God, you know what? I'll get ready to move and I'll be all for you when I have those things. But it's oftentimes in the darkness. It's often in the valley. It's in the physical struggle and adversity. It's in the financial inability. It's when we're all alone. It's when we're all alone that God does the developing in our life. You know, some of us are old enough to understand and remember the time when, you know, to get a photograph, you actually had to develop your own film, right? Anybody in the house old, old like me, like the rest of you, and some, some of you old people are like this too, right? You know, there's, back in the day, you would really think about the picture before you took it, because you're like, it is going to take so much just to get this developed. And so you're like, I only have five shots left. And, and, and you know, I mean, it was like a, a 32 photographs on, you know, on, on the roll. Now it's like if, if we were to hand over our Androids and iPhones, some of you are like in the 10,000s, 15,000s. And don't act like you don't know because I, I see you, you know, I see you with with your extend a selfie arm. You know, one arm's bigger than the other because you're always using it to take yourself. One arm's a little bit longer because you're always stretching it out. You're like, no, I got the arm, let me do it. You know, my, my arm's been stretched out. <laughs> but back in the day, back in the day, we had to take that film and we had to go into a dark room and, you know, you had to pull the film out and you had to place it in the solution. You had to hang it up and let it dry. And, and there was a process that you worked through. You couldn't just pull it out into the light. It couldn't just be on display immediately. No, the, it, in the darkness, it had to be developed. In the darkness, it had to go through the process before it could be brought out into the light for people to enjoy. And you know, this is what God does in seasons of our lives. God takes us to places where it feels like it's dark, where we feel like we're alone, where we're going through a process. And we think, God, how can this have any value? What does this even mean? And God is saying, I'm developing you. I'm developing you. I'm developing you for your next season. I'm developing you for, for your next thing. Peter was hidden in this darkness. He was concealed in this darkness. He was alone in this darkness in a way. We're going to see that God was with him. Peter was like a seed that was being planted. You know, I could have a a seed for an apple tree sit right here on this table and it could sit here for five years or 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or a thousand years. Uh, it's not until that seed is planted alone in the darkness, planted deep in the darkness. And in that place, you know what happens. It, the, uh, the outer kernel begins to dissolve and everything that God has built inside of that seed begins to germinate and it, it springs forth, and in God's timing, it pierces through the soil into the light. It emerges, but there was a process it had to go through. Some of you are going through process. Some of you have been planted in this place that doesn't feel good. 
It feels like you're alone. It's a place of weakness and struggle. And you'll wonder, you're wondering if you're ever going to emerge. Let me tell you something. As you put your faith in Christ, you're going to emerge. You're going to emerge. You're going to come up into this next season that God has for you. And, and this is what's going to happen. You're going to be prepared. You're going to be ready. You're going to be ready. Some of us have learned this. Some of us have learned this over the course of time. And you know, when you're a new believer, it's like, you're not ready for it. You go through adversity and difficulty and you think, man, the, the preacher never told me this, that punk. Like, what the heck? What the heck? He's like, come to Jesus and your life will get better. And you're thinking, this ain't better. Like, this ain't better. This isn't easier. This is harder. And so, you know, in those initial days, you're going through it. And, you're, and then, then what happens is as God develops you in a stage, you emerge from it. And you're like, oh, all right. Like, I, I get it a little bit. And then you go through the next one. And, and now you've got a little wisdom, right? You got a little wisdom. You're like, okay, hey, I, don't, I probably don't have to freak out as much. I don't have to be as impatient. I can anchor myself to God because it seems to me that in adversity and difficulty, God, it's then that God works his greatest works. It's then that God works his greatest works. It's, it's in the hard place, right? And so now five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years into it, there's a strength that you have as a believer in Christ. I'm not saying it's easy, people. I'm not saying we ever get to a place where it's like, yeah, man, awesome, God, one more difficulty. Thank you in Jesus' name. I'm not saying that. I am saying it's like, hey, you know what, God? This doesn't feel good, but I've learned to hold on to you. I've learned to hold on to you. We were, we've been singing this song by Maverick City, and I just want to say it. He won't fail. God won't fail us. Peter, Peter, in addition to that, Peter had to get up and follow when he was uncertain. So he's, he's sitting there, he's sleeping, and then all of a sudden an angel shows up, stands right next to Peter. I love the way that that's phrased. And there, there's a light that shines in the cell. Let me just say here, all right, the angel, of course, represents the promise or the presence of God. God is always with you in the dark places. God is always with you in the dark places. You're never alone. You may not feel his presence you may not have some word that is hitting you where you need to be hid in your heart, but there is a word, and the word is this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then the author to the book of Hebrews goes on to say, he says, that, then we can say, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? God, you know what? I don't necessarily feel you right now. And God, I haven't been hearing you, but there's a word in your word that I'm going to anchor myself to. God, in the midst of the darkness, you are present with me. And then not only that, but his light shines in the darkness. His light shines in the darkness in a way where only Peter is able to see it. Sometimes the light that God shines is only meant for you to see. Sometimes the light that God shines is only meant for you to see. God gives you a vision God gives you a personal mission. There's a word that God gives you. And you know what you want. You want everyone else to get it. You want everyone else to see it. It's like, what's wrong with you people? How come you don't see it? And God says, I gave it to you. This is for you, for you to follow me even if no one else does. Even if, even if the world doesn't follow you, even if other brothers and sisters in Christ 
don't understand and don't follow you, even if your own family doesn't understand. This word is a word for you, and you need to walk in it. Remember, God is always faithful. There are stages here that I love as well. You know, he begins, the angel does, by striking Peter on the side. So, so he strikes Peter on the side. He doesn't strike him in the face. Remember, God is not an abusive father, right? But, but Peter needed to be woken up. He needed to be woken up because he was asleep. And so the angel shows up, stands right next to him, strikes him on the side and says, hey, buddy, listen, lace up your Air Force Ones because we need to move. We need to move. Get up. It's time for you to move. Peter, you have permitted yourself to be stuck in this moment. You permitted yourself to be stuck in this moment. And so I have struck you to awaken you. Some of us are so stuck, we need to be struck. Some of us are so stuck, we need to be struck. Like we have just, we have allowed the circumstances to dictate our destiny. Do you know what I'm talking about? We have conceded to our circumstances. And God is saying, these circumstances don't control your life. You need to stand up and you need to move on. You've accepted the way things are. You've accepted the way things are because you're under the illusion that they can't change. Okay? You've accepted your status quo as the way it's always going to be because you don't believe any longer that things can change. And you're either going to be a prisoner of your status quo or you're going to get up and start moving forward with God. Sometimes God needs to strike us to wake us up, to help us get up out of the toxic relationship, to help us get up out of our bad habits, to help us get out of our dysfunctional thinking, to help us get out of a job that's no longer healthy for us, to be able to build good boundaries with people in our lives that are takers and not givers, people that are a drain instead of a support. And sometimes you know it's like, well, this is just the way it's always been, so it's, it's the way it's always gonna be. I'm just chained. I'm just chained. And God says, man, you're only as chained as you're gonna allow yourself to be. You're only as stuck as you're gonna allow yourself to be. You're either going to allow these circumstances to dictate your destiny or you're going to trust in a living God who can cause the chains to fall away, who can be the one who raises you up out of that prison cell that you've been dwelling in, right? And this is what Peter does. Peter, in his uncertainty, he makes a move. Like, make no mistake about it. Peter didn't wake up and say, oh, yeah, you know what? I was believing the whole time, yo. Yeah, we're good to go. I know how this is going to end. You're going to walk me right out and this is going to be great. No, no, Peter has no clue what's happening. In his uncertainty, he makes a move. He doesn't have the whole picture. It's real-time faith. And, and this is what the angel does. He's like, all right, dude, wake up. Smack, smack. All right, put your shoes on. Like, he's hand-holding Peter. Put your shoes on. Clothe yourself in a robe, take my hand, come on, I'm going to lead you out step by step. And you know, sometimes, sometimes in our Christian circles, that's framed as immaturity. And I would just would say that's normal. Like that's normal. Walking for, forward with God in uncertainty is, is normal. That is the way it happens more often than not. And that is the pathway of faith. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. 
hey, I want to encourage you today. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to maintain control because, you know, sometimes, sometimes our desire to have our I's dotted, our T's crossed, don't get me wrong, we want to be responsible, but God sometimes has a boundary to even our own responsibility. Like we do everything we can, we hit this point where it's like, God, you know what, that's all you've given me. I, I, I can't be any more responsible. And so we take his hand and we trust him. And we, we release control because sometimes that at the end of the day is what it's about, or we want to have this appearance, like, like we do have all the answers. None of us have all the answers. I thank God for those honest people in my life who are willing to say, you know, I really have no idea what he's doing right now. I'm just trusting him. And I'll tell you guys, it's a relief for me to be able to say, hey, you know what, we're walking with God hand in hand, step in step. We're walking with God hand in hand and step in step. And I don't know how this is going to end up. And I don't exactly know where God is guiding us. But you know what? He is the center of everything we do. Our eyes are set on him. And I know that as we follow him one step at a time, he without a doubt will be faithful to us to the end of the ages. That is the reality that we live in. And when you're in that place, when you're in that place, when you take his hand and you follow his commands one single step at a time, chains fall off, chains fall off, prison doors open, soldiers are blinded to your presence, and the city gate opens of its own accord. We're not talking Honda Accord. We're talking about, we're talking about walking in a way that all of a sudden, you know what God does? He just opens the door. He opens the door. When you and I are willing to walk by faith, listen, God works the miracle and that builds our testimony. Who wants to hear from anybody that everything that you have is a product of your own capacity? That's not the testimony that we're after. We want to be able to say, you know what, God did this and let me tell you how he did it. I mean, there was no way it could have been done by us because we were at the end of ourselves and the end of our abilities and we didn't have any finances and we didn't really know what was gonna happen but we trusted him. And let me tell you how he showed up. He provided for us. He protected us. He made a way for us. He granted us favor. He split the sea. He rained down bread from heaven. You know, some of us don't experience the miracles of God in our life because we've controlled our way out of miracles. We've controlled our way. We are so we are so intent on having our hands on absolutely everything. God has said, listen, if that's the way you want it, like if that's the way you want it, I would love to do some miracles here if you would just take your hands off the wheel and let me do the driving. I want to encourage all of us, keep moving when others are doubting. Keep moving when haters are hating. Keep moving despite the internal struggle. And remember, when it seems to be the worst, God's best is coming for you. All right? Finally, just real quick, the final thing he had to get is he had to get some intercessors. He had to get some intercessors. He had to get, right? Because all of this, while all of this is going on in the prison, there's the people of God who are praying. He had some interceders. He had some people who were like really dedicated. You know, there are people who say they pray for you. And then there are people who really pray for you. You know what I'm talking about? Because, hey, we can look all spiritual and say, hey, bro, you know what? Praying for you, man. Praying for you, sister. I know it's really tough right now. I was thinking about this the other day, and I thought, what if? I'm not saying it's going to be like this. 
But what if when we get to heaven, God's going to say, hey, you know all those times you said you were going to pray for somebody? <laughs> Do you guys know what I'm talking about? What if God's like, hey, here's the list. Here's the list. Every place where there's a check you prayed and every place where the box is empty. You know, and I'll just tell you like total transparency. I told someone I was going to pray for them and that thought came to my mind. I'm like, oh, dear God, in Jesus name, Lord, in Jesus name, in Jesus name. There are people who say they're going to pray for you. And then there are people who really pray for you. There are people who are really interceders. I had a moment a couple months ago in my life and, you know, just crazy stuff going down. And I called, I called the boys. I called my guys. I called my ride or die guys. I called my same mud, same blood guys. I called the guys that I knew would carry the burden. I, I called the guys who understood the situation. I called the guys who are always there when it, sorry, hits the fan. I called the guys who are willing to stand when everyone else falls away. I, I called the guys who are willing to take it and continue on in their walk with God. I called the guys who have spiritual backbone. I called the guys who are warriors. And you know what? I feel the power of their prayers. I feel the power of their prayers. I want to encourage you, get some intercessors. Get some, and, and in all you're getting, get some good ones. Get some people who will re really pray. Get, get some people who really care. You know, when you're pouring your stuff out and you're like, man, you just need someone and all you get back is, well, let me tell you what I've gone through and their story. And I'm not saying there's not a place for that, but man, you want people who are really gonna carry the burden with you. And when you get that type of person, I'm telling you, their prayers will change things. They will change things on the inside and they will change things on the outside. Psalm 124, I'll wrap up with this. David said, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. By this, the way, this is a psalm of ascent. Uh, they would go up to Jerusalem and they would all sing this together. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel, or let Awake in Las Vegas now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then we would have swallowed, then we, then, excuse me, then they would have swallowed us alive. When their wrath was kindled against us, then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. Then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth in Jesus' name. Amen. Woo!